Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, back with you again with... N7 Legend. How you doing, N7? I'm doing well. Um, so we're doing this on on Mondays now. So this is a little bit of a change. I was just uh, streaming some Mass Effect and it led right into this, which was a nice little uh, transition. Yeah, man. This is, this is great. We've got our patrons here. This is our end of February patron episode where we will be talking about plot holes in the Mass Effect games. And we've got a large group ready to talk about some of the things that they want to know more about because there may not be an explanation for them. So I'm just going to, we've got a packed episode today, buddy. This is going to be awesome. So I'm just going to run down the list and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to name everybody. And then at the same time on the count of three, all of you guys are going to just get ready to unmute and you're all going to say hi at the same time because I want to give us as much time as possible to talk about the content. So we've got we've got Genesis, Psych, Apollo, Teacup, Turbo Toboggan, Cloudy Atlas, Lena, Michael B- I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Michael B, and Anna. Ready? One, two, oh, make sure you unmute yourself, unmute yourselves. One, two, three. Hi. Hey. Hey, hello. Howdy. <laughs> That was awesome. That was awesome. So here we are talking about plot holes. This is going to be an awesome conversation. And, um, you know, I obviously and seven, you know, a lot more about the lore of Mass Effect than I do. I mean, th- these are our roles. I ask a lot of questions. I'm continuing, c- continuing to play the games and learn more. You do a lot more of the research and have known more about these games than I have going in. Um, there's not plot holes in Mass Effect. What? <sighs> 
Oh, but there are. Oh. There are no shortage, in my opinion, of inconsistencies and things that we are asked to suspend our disbelief maybe just a little bit too much. So we're going to dive into some of the uh, fandom's biggest, most aggravating or funniest ones. Well, all right. Well, let's start off with Genesis. We're just going to go down the line. Genesis is joining us again. Genesis has our T-shirt on. She's a paragon tonight. Look at that. That looks awesome. How's it going, Jen? I'm doing good tonight. Uh, it, it Today's been a whirlwind day, but here we are. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show again. And um, so <laughs> you've got you've got cat problems. Um, I do. She, she just joined us on the uh, Witcher Lorecast patron episode where we argued about Yennefer versus Triss or other sorceresses. And so she's doing like this is a double header. So uh, welcome <laughs> to the other show tonight. Uh, so what do you think? What what plot hole are you bringing to the show tonight? Uh, for me, it was Jacob's loyalty mission has what I see as one of the biggest gameplay mistakes. The weapon mechanics changed from one to two, and it caused as what I see the most inexplicable plot hole. Uh, I can get around the fact that Shepard would know about the new heatsink system, despite it being rolled out while in a coma. And that the moment they wake up, they realize that the gun they are using is a new model that requires it. Maybe Shep was part of a beta test that we didn't see, or that the heat sinks were there in the month and a half between the beginning, between the end of one and the beginning of two. What I cannot wave away to the awesomeness of Shepard is that the crew of the Hugo Gernsback. The crew was stranded on an uninhabited planet for over 10 years, would absolutely not have access to the newest and best technology. When you fight through the beach, the spawns drop the heat sinks, clips that work perfectly with the best weapons Cerberus can provide. But then, at the end of the mission, you have the option to hand over your own pistol. A gun that just a few minutes ago was using the miracle spawned heat sinks. The recipient who hasn't seen this new style of weaponry has not seen new heat sink protocol, knows how to eject the heat sink, verify that there's one shot left, and then reinserts it without any complications or prior training. <laughs> right. Yeah, like you, you absolutely have awareness of this brand new technology that you've never seen before, even though you've been stranded for 10 years. So, OK, so there are plot holes in Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. This one was pretty glaringly obvious that I think if they had if they had beta tested or at least had the writers test it a little bit more, someone would have picked up on it. Um I'm not sure what the reason is that this made it through the QA, uh, but I will say that like it's a completely definitive change in gameplay mechanic that was almost certainly done to speed combat up. But when you're going to do that, when you're going to make that technological leap backward, seemingly, you need to be able to explain it thoroughly, not just this is a thing now. Yeah, I feel I think like it would have been. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Genesis. I think it would have been really cool if this was a survival type mission where the ammo doesn't drop. 
So now you only have what you bring and then you have each of your guns that you can go through to try and fight off the monster or the spawns, whatever. And then by the time that you get to the end, that one last pistol bullet is worth a lot more to you then. And do you really want to give that over or make different choices in that scenario? Yeah, I wonder if this was like uh, they wrote the storyline and then somebody was like, wait a minute, that wouldn't have been possible. And they were like, eh, too late. Oh, well, you know, let's open this up. What do you guys think? Anyone want to chime if in? If you play on insanity mode, it might feel like that because Good point. they won't drop them. <laughs> yeah, you got that. Did any of the others, do you guys notice this while playing through the game? Yeah, we're getting some nods. Some definite like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, this is this is a problem. This wouldn't have existed unless they like time traveled or somehow inserted knowledge into their brains. So, yeah, solid point. Solid point. Anything else you want to add, Jen? No, I mean, that was my big one that just bugs the crap out of me. Not only like, how are they dropping them? How did they have this? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts, N7? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of plot holes that kind of stem from the whole transition back to uh, thermal clips, i.e. ammo. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we can probably just settle on the realistic explanation being that they wanted a gameplay mechanic that sped things up a little bit and made things a little bit more fun and the developers were willing to overlook some things in the production process for it yeah yeah sometimes video games put the story on the back seat when it comes to gameplay and well, see i think as somebody who does not play anything on insanity level like throwing in a survivalist camp mission in the middle of a game that doesn't have do that would have like, I don't think I would have liked that if they would have made me only use the weapons that I had. Cause that would have been a departure from the rest of the game. And I kind of hate it. If a game gives you this one little thing that is totally different than the rest of the game. Cause then I would get frustrated. Especially if you're playing. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. There we go. Um, especially if you're, uh, playing on any other class other than soldier because mass effect two restricts the weapons that you can use more than any other game in the trilogy. Uh, cause like I main Vanguard. And so then I would be dropped onto the planet with a shotgun and a heavy pistol and neither of them carry very much ammo. Now I, I do love the idea. I was thinking that as you're saying, like if we could have gotten like, just like one little, uh, a gameplay switch up, but it, it would have infuriated me to no end if I was playing it. Mm -hmm. Now they could have written in other reasons why there's more ammo on the planet. Like they could have like, maybe there was a container that crashed, landed on the planet and happened to have ammo on it from other soldiers that died in the wreck or, you know, like th there could have been a gameplay reason why there was other ammo on the planet that they just didn't work in. And you know, like there, there were, way, there are ways to write around this kind of thing, but they just didn't take the time to, to do that. And if I may say, the combat for Jacob's mission is relatively low key in comparison to a lot of other missions. You've got, you know, you got your survivors, and I think on Sanity they get like some shields, and you've got low key mechs. The hardest thing is a Yimmer at the end, 
you could have made a more intrigue mission, cut all the combat, and it would have it would have taken care of the ammo problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunrise in chat says he's stranded, but he still gets his subscription to Gun Club Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> he knows about all the updates. Well, uh, if I remember the thermal clip, it are part of weapons pre Mass Effect 2. It's just that the system involves like a fan that cools down the thermal clip. And so obviously, like if you know gun safety, you never like you don't store guns like when you're transporting them on a ship, like fully loaded in case mm-hmm. something happens. So it is possible that something like cargo spills and just spills a bunch of thermal clips yeah. that might be old that you could indeed like maybe adapt. And if you have a device that literally translates languages for you on the side, you, your gun might be able to adapt. Uh, I don't know this comes in a thing, but can you turn uh, weapons into Omni gel? Doesn't it get turned into Omni gel in Mass Effect one when you like, and stuff so couldn't could it, could they have made the weapons out of omni gel in mass effect 2 i don't know how they got the schematics I'm, but <laughs> right that's what i was gonna say they would have needed some 3d printing schematics and driver updates i think uh which would have required a connection to the extranet which uh even if they could have had i don't think that jacob's father would have allowed or a crash ship with info on it or something right yeah right yeah. Interesting. Interesting puzzle, Jen. Um, thanks for bringing this one. Why don't we move on to Psych? Psych, you got a perplexing plot hole for us? Yes, I do. Um, so this one requires uh, some outside knowledge uh, with Paragon Lost, right? Uh, so Vega fights a separate collector ship. That's, a, that's all I'm going to really say on that to so avoid spoilers. But in doing so, that opens up the idea that there are more than just the one that was Dog and Shepherd, And we only blow up the one at the end of two. So with this idea that there could have been like a small fleet of them, why does Sovereign not use a completely loyal, technologically advanced army to storm the Citadel, either in conjunction with the Geth or without the Geth? This brings up a pretty good uh, plot point or plot hole that exists throughout the trilogy. Why didn't the Reapers just bum rush the Citadel in three? (laughs) Why did they like considering that they created the Citadel for the express purpose of uh, speeding up the extinction event? Then why did they dilly dally? Why wait until this huge cinematic thing and, and, the, and the end of Mass Effect 3 and spoilers alert, uh, why wait until it's like, now it's more dramatic because it's in the orbit of Earth? <laughs> like, you know, uh, I don't know. That That's a, yeah, that's a good, good plot hole. Sam, I might answer that question when I talk about my plot hole. Do we want to, do we want to jump ahead? Because maybe these two things. No, I'd, I'd, I'd rather uh, set up the suspense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you doing what they're doing by waiting for no reason? Yeah, and every at, at the end of everyone's, I'll just go, oh, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. Just wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think I'm echoing through Turbo Toboggan's uh, speakers, but Turbo, are you? Oh, maybe I, I was echoing through Mike's speakers. Turbo, go ahead. Uh, about the collectors, when they, why they did my theory on why they use it 
Um, could it be when they destroyed the main collector base, they lost like a node, like a relay node, like the, like like the Reapers were broadcasting originally from that that went out all to the collector ship. So when they destroyed the main base, it lost. Maybe that's why they never used it. I was meaning uh, for one. Oh, why one. Oh, Sovereign. Okay. Why doesn't Sovereign use the collectors outside oh. of the the obvious? Like the the obvious reason exists is because. The collectors didn't exist in the writer room at the time Mass Effect One was written. Like, oh, that's that's just the way it is. But yes. in universe, assuming that the universe isn't just, uh, anywhere, right. Um, right. why doesn't Sovereign use them at that time? Right. Why wait? Why not just do it then? Why give the galaxy a chance when you could just have wiped them out? Yeah, we're getting a lot of nods. A lot of nods and like, yup. Because that, that would be no fun. <laughs> That's no fun. <laughs> and that doesn't create a story. I like to think it's because the Reapers are becoming more organic. And so they come and they like take all this stuff to Earth because Shepard's pissed them off. And so they're making it personal. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, in three, they do like, that's how three starts is that they, they come to Earth, right? Like they show up on Earth and kick Earth's butt and Shepard has to leave and be like, they're here, everybody. Right. That's true. Why would Harbinger go through the mental backflips and, and even expend the energy to guilt Shepard? Because that's all like Harbinger does ever since Mass Effect 2. Just constant guilt trips for Shepard. Why even go through those and jump through those hoops if it wasn't personal? It does seem personal. I mean, they're extremely arrogant and they assume that they cannot be defeated. So, I mean, I think maybe they just are like, eh, do whatever we want. We'll toy with people. We'll win in the end. doesn't matter what we do because we're, we have no beginning and we have no end. That's also, Which, sorry. No, uh, no, I think you're going to say what, what I was going to say. So go, go ahead. Uh, wasn't that the explanations to why the collectors were targeting humans in two anyways was because Shepard made an enemy of the Reapers like by stopping Sovereign from doing anything or am I making that up I feel I feel like I remember that from somewhere no I think you're right because I, I'm pretty sure it's canon that the that the Reapers underestimated Shepard I mean if if you were a Reaper and you've lived for who knows how long and you've destroyed who knows how many civilizations and you've proved yourself more powerful than any, any civilization that's ever come since you've been around. Wouldn't you un misunderstand, underestimate Shepard too? I mean, he would look like an ant to you. Like that's, it's not unreasonable to think that like, oh yeah, this little human, of course, Psh, whatever. Like he stands a chance. Like, yeah, it would totally make sense. I'm not saying I'm pro Reaper. I mean, obviously Reapers are the bad guys, but what I'm saying is they like, they clearly are more powerful, more, more capable, more intelligent. Like it makes sense that they would be like, you know, I mean, Harbinger, Harbinger's a smart guy. He's a genius actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am making a commentary there. Uh, but the, the Reapers, um, they do underestimate Shepard. And I, I think it's, we can suffice to say that by the beginning of, you know, the second game of the trilogy, they, they correct that error. 
Hmm. Well, good one, Psych. Um, are you all... Go ahead. Are you also saying that you don't fear the Reaper? Don't fear the Reaper. I, I brought my cowbell. Just for this moment. If you could bang it really hard next to the mic, that'd be great. Okay. I'll also jostle my, uh, my, my body like this while I do it. Does that count as the ASMR? Uh, it can, yeah. And, uh, it There's a market. It does and it also doesn't at the same time. Um, it depends on how turned on you are by my jostling body. All right. That was a uh, callback to the pre-show conversation. That's why you need to tune in to us live on Twitch and YouTube on the robots radio channels it's like this has been a, a cool conversation here and i think we might actually return to it when mike uh talks about his <laughs> Leah says i should go i'm so sorry all right let's move on to apollo apollo what's your plot hole so mine i don't think is going to be as in depth as these other ones but it would just be in the power of the biotics in the game when we meet people like when we meet jack she just annihilates an entire room by herself. Mm -hmm. No problem. But we never see that again. All we hear, like we just cars are the most feared people in the galaxy, the most badass people in the galaxy. But then Samara, you take her with you. She's not, she's Jacob basically. Like she's, she doesn't do anything. When I, if I've taken her on a mission, I'm regretting it because I get nothing out of her at all. And even in the novels, if you, to no spoilers, but the, the biotics in the novels are powerful and you just don't see it in the game. Jack's shockwave is great, but you just don't see anything in the game that resembles any of the stuff that you read in the lore or just that you see when you meet people. So I've always wondered, like, they just, they just completely tune them down in the game. Even the biotics you face are nothing like what you see or hear about biotics. So that's, that's kind of mine. I'm not a huge plot hole, but something. It's like there's the story version of it, and then there's the gameplay version of it. Yeah. I feel you there. Teacup? I was just going to say, kind of thing, it's like, it really is just balance because as, as strong as you make the player biotic and the NPC biotic, you have to make the enemy biotic equal there. Mm -hmm. And so if you're tearing through enemies, that means enemies are going to tear through you. And so. I wonder if it's a limitation of the technology that the game was built on a decade ago when they were making these games, because for example, the new game that they're working on is going to be designed in Unreal Engine 5. And Unreal Engine 5 can do a lot of things. Destructibility, scale, lots of enemies on the screen. So imagine, and just go with me here on this little imagination trip, imagine biotics where their abilities can actually destroy walls and buildings can crumble. Or like a, a military build character who can actually shoot rockets that could do the same thing that can actually blow things up um, so that now, regardless of which path you pick, you have biotic abilities, tech abilities or military capabilities that all can do similar things if they're built out powerful enough so that there is a balance there between all those builds. But then you also deal with enemies and masses of enemies that are that are more capable. So that if you're on a planet and let's say you you're on some some military expedition and oh crap, now you've come up against an entire, you know, a, an entire swarm of, I don't know, mechanical robots 
they come attacking against you and there's like dozens of them coming at you and all of a sudden a jack like character steps up and does a biotic wave and just like knocks over three dozen of them with a big biotic wave and blows their arms off you could actually do that in the game today whereas you couldn't do that a decade ago because we just didn't have the capabilities to really do that well now it's actually starting to match the way that stuff works do you guys think that might be where things are going you think that's a possibility i could live with that more enemies just to for the sake of making your powers that much greater but it actually matches things that can happen in the storyline i mean imagine imagine if you if you're if you're a military type build and you have you know lasers and rockets and and the kinds of weapons that you would be able to have in this universe where you could actually decimate that kind of force then you could actually do it same way with like biotic abilities that can actually do something like that, that really make it possible. But then you might also have the ability to have shields powerful enough to guard yourself from that kind of thing. Um, and it really, you really scale it up to the point where it's like, yeah, you are actually on this galactic warfare kind of scale rather than just this like three person squad versus these little groups of people in corridors kind of scale. And you can still do that. You can still have those kinds of conflicts, but you could also scale it up. I just want to say that while I mostly agree with this sentiment, I will say uh, if you really want to feel like biotics are powerful, just really max out singularity or lift in Mass Effect 1 and see what happens. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. The game glitches quite beautifully. <laughs> You cast lift on somebody outside and they just kind of like, they just, they just rise and they just keep going and eventually they it's just their orbit. <laughs> it's like the Skyrim, um, <laughs> giant <laughs> hitting them off into the clouds. Yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts on Apollos? Nope. Nope. We're good. All right. Well, well cool. Follow. Thank you for that one. All right, teacup. All right, mine's a little small and mainly deals with Mass Effect 2. But I feel like often the when our real world physics apply in Mass Effect is very inconsistent in the game. For example, if you use incendiary like ammo and you hit someone in full armor and shields, their body is going to disintegrate. But Shepard in the same armor can fall from space into a planet and somehow there's a body to recover. To rebuild uh-huh. so does that mean that the ammo is burning hotter than the friction of falling through an atmosphere right right yeah do you have other examples that's, or is that's my main example that yeah. comes to mind yeah. um, uh, gravity is another one like every surface of every body you ever land on has the same amount of gravity they got mag boots you know that's they do have mag boots. yeah but once you lift off the ground the mag boots disengage the only time that we ever really hear or witness the differences in atmosphere are when we're on the moon and when we are uh, walking between, I think it's the heretic ship in Mass Effect 2, when again, they mention the, the mag boots. Um, but we also hear it. It's an auditory thing. Um, and I, I, I bet Mike has picked up on this uh, being the uh, auditory and, and music guru uh, of Mass Effect that he is. 
but it's also another one of those instances like we talked about during the music episode where there's no music uh the heretic ship that walk across the uh the the causeway or whatever you want to call it um and you can you can look out and you can see the geth and the Corians duking it out but you can't hear it because you're in space um i just watched uh my partners play through uh, mass effect one uh the conclusion to that today and of course at the end of mass effect one you're walking on the arms of the citadel and it does a good job of explaining that your mag boots are allowing that to happen um but you can still hear everything pretty clearly which i don't think you should really be able to do because their their helmets the rebreathers are on so you can tell that they are exposed to to the vacuum of space right now um so yeah yeah i would agree with that cortez does say though in uh his citadel i think or in one of his like Citadel meetups and then also in the Citadel DLC, I think um, he mentions that they have like simulated audio. Cause he'll say uh, if you can see him up on like de- uh, uh, docking bay 24, he says, sometimes I like to turn off my simulated audio and just watch the, the uh, ships pass by in silence. So that one at least is like a little explained. That makes sense. And also I'm, I'm guessing that, all the, all Citadel systems hadn't been completely shut down by that point, but also uh, we forget that uh, even even if you're not yet exposed to the complete vacuum of space, you would still probably have your helmet on because a you know what if you get bonked in the head by some debris, but also uh, you you definitely want to go into a situation with your helmet already on. You don't want to you know, get spaced and then be like, oh, I'm in the vacuum of space. I better put my helmet on now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to do that in a certain order. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard decision to make on the fly. <laughs> right. Speaking of which, not all the squad mates do. <laughs> like, some of the squad mates have this weird gel-looking mask thing that they put on uh, that doesn't make any sense when you're in, like, noxious atmospheres. <laughs> I think Liara and Jack both have one, and I don't know if there's anyone else. Maybe Thane? Miranda. Jacob wears one sometimes. Basically, anybody without armor. Ashley does in three. (laughs) I've always interpreted that as being not unlike uh, if you're skydiving or something from like a super, super high altitude where you're not in space, but you're in a place where the air is thin enough where you need supplemental oxygen. That it's more of a situation like that. Hmm. But if you're in a noxious atmosphere, wouldn't you want your eyes protected? Right. Or like God knows what kind of skin reactions might come about. I, I don't know. Is the shield system like the personal shield, the same like science behind like the mass effect, like the mass effect principle? I guess it is things traveling too slow will be able to enter your shield like and bypass your shield so like a knife would be able to bypass the shield like if someone was trying to stab you also right. be thing. Sit down in your armor. 
But and to answer your original question, Tika, I, it, you're not wrong. It's a plot hole that you know the incinerate just burns away someone's armor, and really, it's it's an engine issue, right? It, the engine doesn't want to have to keep track of every dead body you leave behind, so they make it disappear graphically. Yeah. Yeah. Good old video games. Yeah. What about the um? Oh, what's it called? The vehicle you drive around on the surface of stuff. The Mako. The Mako. The Mako. That has, correct me if I'm wrong, that handles exactly the same on every planetary surface you drive on. Yeah, more or less. Right? Now, that, that's You not, can get a little more air when you're on the moon, which is kind of like right. the well, thing the, about the that's, gravity. Right. That's the moon. But like how many different sized planetary bodies do you drive that on? I mean, we land on asteroids, too. You land on freaking asteroids. That thing should barely land. Like, if you come off the ground of the asteroid, it should take forever for that thing to land back on the ground because of the limited amount of gravity. You know, if you don't remember pre-legendary edition Mako, do you? Oh, my God. Well, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But like it it should vary. My point is it should vary depending on the, the surface of the thing that you're on. Right. Turbo. Don't they say like the Mako has its like own Mass Effect thing that that's why it can land on the planets because it lessens its own gravity? So technically, can't it also lessen and increase its gravity and make sure it performs the same way on every single thing? Isn't that kind of like that's what I always thought? Because they said that it has its own yeah. thing, so that's why it can land from orbit. So I just that's why I thought in my head like that's probably why it performs the same because the the system can like it probably has a gravitational sensor. And when it lands, it's like, oh, I need to be heavier. Or I need to be lighter. That's why I always figured in my head. I didn't know if I, if I was just making that up. It's uh, it's six vertically aligned Mass Effect fields, and it's supposed to allow it to just climb, so it can go up steep inclines and things. I'm not exactly certain if it affects its its gravitational pull in relation to another body of gravity, but that's that's what you're thinking of. I'd refute that that idea disproving the uh, different worlds not being programmed with different atmospheres, though, because when you get out of the Mako, <laughs> it still feels the same. Uh, yeah, because the yes, ground isn't going to be metallic. Mag boots I, would connect to I metallic may, surfaces, not necessarily may, the rock. If I may blow everybody's mind, they're not mag boots. I don't remember where I read this. It might be in the codex or something, but they actually are... Uh, using small Mass Effect fields to hold on to things. They're Mass Effect boots. Exactly. What? <laughs> That's weird. And I know that sounds like a space magic. Just, oh, we'll just use that to hand wave everything. But uh, when you think about it, being able to change the mass of properties and change gravity or whatever is pretty useful. A lot of yeah. application. It does sound like space magic, but yeah, we'll go with you. All right. All right. Teacup, you've got us going in all sorts of directions here, man. This is we're going to have to dig into some of this stuff to figure out where we can actually source some of the the descriptions of this. I feel like this could be a whole episode and seven where we get into like the actual oh, yeah. properties of each of the like the boots, the, you know, the vehicles, the all of this stuff and where any of this stuff is actually justified. Um, very cool stuff. Thanks for this one. Turbo. I know you got one for us. You, you said you weren't 100% sure if this is actually a plot hole or just something you weren't sure about. Yeah, th- that's why I came up with two, but I'll use the one I was missing thinking of. And, okay, 
it mess. Uh, it, I can. It's about your money, Shepard's money, and in between Mass Effect and one and two, and then two and three. Um, why does he lose all his money? It's a, it's an electronic money. I can understand him losing it between one and two because technically he dies. So it, it, if he has a will, it get passed on, and then coming back, well, that's gone. You technically you die. I can understand losing your money there. But in between two and three, when technically he gets put under kind of arrest, I don't know if, what exactly he gets put on. When he, when he comes out of being under arrest, when they send him out into the universe to go help, you think they give him back all his money and stuff and his resources so he could save the universe. Because <laughs> when I got done with Mass Effect 1 and 2, I had the max money you could have, max resources, everything. And I had the same thing between, uh, well, not max resources between two and three, but I still had pretty high up. So I want to know, what happened to all that stuff? Shepard is, my, at least my Shepard is filthy, stinking rich. I could have used that to buy weapons or like I bought all the armor. Like what happened to all my stuff? Yeah. Every time I save the world, I, I get rich too. So taken for taxes. I mean, it would be the lore friendly. explanation. <laughs> uh, my guess is that it's seized because it's evidence of criminal activity. Space two, taxes. Because it's all comes because the funding you get comes from Cerberus. Uh, technically a uh, disavowed terrorist organization. Ooh. I made my own money. I worked hard on that. Those eddies. No, the, the eddies the, uh, are the cyberpunk ed- all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. The Euro dollars. Yeah. Euro dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Normandy does get impounded. And uh, so I guess wherever you were stashing those eddies, the, uh, the Alliance found that. <laughs> I mean, Shepard really does basically lose everything between two and three. Mm-hmm. And it, te- technically, Shepard is kind of like homeless. <laughs> yeah. Maybe and Joker the- took all of your money, and that's why Edie thinks he can afford to buy his own shuttle. <laughs> if I remember correctly, in Mass Effect 2, you also get an email at some point from somebody who is in a real bind and if only you would wire them a certain amount of money through indirect channels then then it, you know they would be able to get out of a bind and they would they would happily uh, re- reimburse you double or, or whatever we don't know that Shepard didn't uh, wire all their money to somebody through a cane letter scam <laughs> like, he, got a, he got an email from like a a prince in some third world country and he was like this sounds like a wonderful investment no yeah. it wasn't a sorry priestess some <laughs> from another from a back world planet trying to get yeah. back to a sorry space yeah he was like i'm gonna invest everything in nfts this is gonna be the next big thing and then it wasn't and he was like crap now i'm homeless <laughs> yeah I don't know. Or maybe he knew the government was going to come for all of his money and he just divvied it up among all of his friends. And he was like, here, guys, take this money. Go, go, go launder it for me. That could explain how Garrus could do all those, uh, his Batman thing. He got all of his Batman money from Shepard. Wait, that was between one and two, though. Well, I lost all my money between one and two. Two. I had nine, nine, yeah, but, nine, nine. Right, but you said he died, so that, that explained it. The two to three is the one that's less easy to explain. Mm-hmm. Maybe Garrus went back to Batman for a while and then came back and we never heard about it? 
Oh, everybody's making these shrug faces. No, I, I think the 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 canon is that during that time, Garrus uh, went back to to be more involved with the hierarchy, the Turian hierarchy. Yeah, but Batman's more fun. He could have been Batmaning on Palavin. And nobody would know. He just has a cape and he's killing criminals and then he picks yeah. up the cape and he's like, whoosh, and then he just runs away. Right, he's got a mask. I wonder what crime is like on Palavin, though. Probably hardcore as fuck. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you need him as Batman. Who else is going to do it? Yeah, so we've got some theories here. Well, guys, now's a good time for the mid-break so we can thank you guys, our patrons, and we will be right back. And then we're going to talk to the rest of you guys about your plot hole theories. So don't go anywhere. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, so here we are in the middle of a show where we get to thank all of our 
awesome patrons. Thank you guys for being here and joining us again for one of these patron episodes. Uh, Sam and I very, very much appreciate it. And we love getting to chat with you guys. And we have a brand new patron. We have Marcos P who signed up just this last week. So welcome to the Patreon, Marcos. And we have 46 patrons, 46 of you guys supporting the show. Sam and I very, very much appreciate that. Thank you guys, all of you. And also all uh, three of our Shepherd tier five patrons, Hool the Fool, Apollo and Pipe Man. Thanks for being here and supporting us. And um, we also have a, uh, oh, no, we don't have any new reviews this week. So I thought we did, but we don't. No new reviews. Uh, but that's another way that you can help us out by leaving a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or rating us on Spotify. Those are two wonderful ways that you can help support us and make sure that people know that this is a show worth checking out if you like Mass Effect. And and um, seven. anything else you want to say to our patrons while they're here? Um, well, nothing beyond what I've already said in previous weeks. You know, I, I'm always thankful uh, for the support that you all have shown us. We're coming up on one year now and uh, it's been a hell of a ride. We're not planning on stopping anytime soon. <laughs> Even though we, we freaked have... people out last week. <laughs> I unintentionally freaked everyone out because I was just like, hey, uh, you know, I meant to say like, hey, just a little heads up. We're changing the show from Sundays to Mondays and we're doing two two shows a week now. But I, I just said like announcement <laughs> and then everyone's like, it must be the worst possible conclusion. Oh no, they're going <laughs> to end the show. Oh no. And then they read the rest of it and they're like, oh, thank God. Like I, yeah, they saw announcement. They're like, I bet N7 died. <laughs> they're like they're ending the show. N7's dead. Oh God. And it's just the state of the world. They're just used to all, all the bad news. And they were like, oh yeah. no, the show's ending also. No, nope, yeah, we are show's getting not alert ending. fatigue. No, nope, yeah. show's not ending. We're still here. You guys are awesome. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, and if we've done anything to help to get you through the work day, the work week, your workout, uh, or freaking out from weird notices that make you think we're ending the show, then go to patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast and check out all the different tiers where you can get a t-shirt like Genesis is wearing right over there. Isn't that awesome? Oh, Apollo's wearing, wait, Apollo and teacup. I didn't see the shirts because I just saw your heads. Three of you are wearing your shirts. That's awesome, man. I wish I could, maybe I should sign up for my own Patreon so I can get one of those shirts. And um, you know, in fact, I'm wearing one of the shirts that one of our patrons made for me. Oh, uh, nice. So I'm wearing the N7 my, Legend shirt. My my very own N7 Legend shirt. It's one of one. Nice. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go get mine out of my closet and, and put that on. I, I wore my Witcher shirt tonight because I we did the Witcher shirt, the Witcher Lorecast earlier, but I'll have to put mine on for a future episode. Um, but you guys are awesome. Thank you for being here. And if you do want to help sign uh help us out, then please check out the Patreon. There's lots of good stuff, ad free episodes, and you can always join us on a future one of these and be on the show with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions about the game. And uh, I think that's all I got to say. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, here we are, back, and Cloudy Atlas, you're up. What do you okay. got for us? Yeah, it's your turn. I'm excited. What, <laughs> what, what are you going to share? So my plot hole has to do with Tally and like her her suit specifically. So oh, okay, it's 
It really only comes up. It does come up if you're femship. Okay, hold, uh, hold on, hold on, share. hold on. Real quick, oh. real quick. Sunrise in chat says, happy birthday, Cloudy. Is it your birthday? Uh, no, it was on Friday, but thank you. Happy Saturday, birthday. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right. Sorry. Oh sorry. You can go on. We just had to, I just, I just saw that in chat and I had to take a moment to say happy birthday. So, well, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. So Tally's, Tally's suit, right? Yeah. So she's a Korean. Koreans have to wear their suits because they're immunocompromised. They cannot take them off or they will die. Yeah. Like point. That's it. Right. Um, so if you are a femme chef, she and male chef, I think she offers to share her suit environment with you and if you're a male chef you can actually romance her and you don't get to see anything like she she takes off her mask and you don't get to see her face which is a whole nother it's not a plot hole that's just annoying um, i know right but <laughs> yeah. um yeah i'm not gonna cover the romance part if you want to learn more you can go to the two girls one ship podcast they just covered tally it was a really good episode uh -huh. um anyway my bone to pick is she's like she's immunocompromised she claims to have taken antibiotics and things to like bolster her immune system and she's gonna be fine even though she's dextro based and like she didn't do anything to prepare so like i am immunocompromised i have an overactive immune system i'm allergic to 40 kinds of fruits and vegetables and oh, wow. every kind of tree i'm not allowed to smell flowers because i could go into anaphylaxis oh wow um, okay yeah yeah so from a personal note it took me seven months to be injected with small amounts of pollen like a one to one thousand ratio to get to a one-to-one -one ratio, it took me seven months. Wow. And even then, you have to be in maintenance, which is a direct injection every other week for three to five years. Wow. And then you might be able to smell flowers and not go into shock. Yeah. That's that's intense. So, I knew... Uh, so, a friend of mine in college was uh, had a, an allergic reaction to peas, um, so much so that if somebody had used a microwave before she used a microwave and had peas in their food and she microwaved her food in the same microwave and ate her food, she could potentially have an allergic reaction that was lethal. And this was something that she was like very, very concerned about. So like ever since I learned about, about her in college, it was one of those things that, you know, I like have taken seriously. I've, I've gone like, Oh my God, like, this is not something that you go, oh, yeah, they'll be fine. They're just being extreme about it. Like, so obviously this is something that you have to be very, very careful with. Yeah, I'm not quite that level. I can microwave peas freely, uh -huh. um, but I am allergic to like so many foods that I pretty much only eat like meat because it's just easier to just not deal with fruits and vegetables and soy. And so like I can't possibly imagine like I'm not allowed to lie in grass because I could go into shock. Um, I can't imagine just being like, I've been doing these shots for seven months, guys. I'll be fine. And just like take off my mask and just like nosedive into a pile of grass. Like that just sounds like the worst idea humanly possible. And like no amount of immunosuppressants or steroids are going to fix this. Yeah. Like even if she just takes off her mask and I don't know how to explain this way. And also, why is she doing it the night before a suicide mission? <laughs> You're going to be down for the count tomorrow. Like, <laughs> good luck. It's an, it's an excuse. She doesn't want to do it. She wants to go back on the ship. Yeah, totally. Does anybody have any she's, ideas? She's jumping to the conclusion. She's just making the suicide run one one day, one night early. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I. I um, my my only thought is um, Metagel. 
<laughs> it's the cure-all. So that, that might be the only writing explanation for that. Yeah, I've always wondered about this, too, because... In in the kind of situation where you have to be a hundred percent cut off from everything, you have to wear a suit all the time. The idea that like you can be in close proximity with somebody like in an intimate way, like that just seems like that's super dangerous. That just like mm-mm. maybe the thought mm-mm. is that mm-mm. they've been like this for so long now that they and they've directed so many of their medical advances and technology toward facilitating this kind of lifestyle that their boosters and whatnot like that that they take before prepping for something like this with this level of intimacy and hooking environment or enviro suits is something that they can prepare for and mitigate yeah but antibiotic efficacy is going down because we've exposed the bacteria to them and we have antibiotic resistant bacteria now it's like that could happen there as well especially when it's like foreign bacteria dextro based amino based like or levo amino acid based like if there's too many things the other the other possible explanation with with tally's choice there is that the grave nature of that choice and the serious risk that it poses to her is supposed to mean her choice means that much more to the player yeah like she's willing to ma- do this because that's how much she cares. And with all the technology on the Normandy, is it not possible that Edie is aware of every possible bacteria that is on that ship and could have worked with Tally to like counteract anything that possibly could have happened to her in this one instance? I guess. I mean, even the good bacteria in your body could be dangerous to her. I mean, think about just like the bacteria in your mouth. That's like healthy bacteria, like and you kiss somebody like that could be dangerous. Like that, like that's how simple this is. That's assuming that kissing is a thing in Korean culture. But Mm. I mean, you're you're, you're being even just in close proximity, even just breathing the same air, like some of that's going to get on the other person like. Like, these are things that we don't worry about because we're all human beings and we share a lot of that same bacteria. We don't have to worry about it so much. And even just some of that slight bacteria, like our most of us have healthy immune systems and we're just going to fight that stuff off. Like we fight off hundreds of bacteria and viruses every day that we never even worry about because of our immune systems. Just just kill that stuff that just, just takes care of it. Like the, the one or two that slip in and make us sick every so often are the ones that we actually notice. Um, but like, yeah, there's just the, the level of danger here is like super high in this scenario. Yeah. It's, it's like it, when you actually know the science behind it, it's actually really, really dangerous for her. So you just have mm-hmm. to assume that they have some level of technology that just is not invented yet. That is able to keep her safe for a very short period of time in some sort of super mega dose or something. My only like assume. thought to explain it is like micro exposure. Like she's exposing herself to tiny, tiny amounts. And like later in the third game, uh, she mentions like people are uploading geth into their suits to do that. Like they're creating vaccines, but it's like unless she's being really weird and just taking off her helmet for like two seconds and then popping it back on. Right. That's the best guess I can do. But that would take, like I said, six months. Like what is Mass Effect one over a month? Yeah. So she would have to do it the moment she met Shepard, be like, this might pay off later. We will see. Or I wonder about something like nanobot technology that's able to somehow safeguard her immune system and work in, in tangent with it. 
that actually like hunt down, like can be programmed to hunt down anything outside of a certain range of bacteria that would work in connection with her and, and, and her suit, you know, something like that. Um, so that, so for example, if Shepard were to be in that environment for a long term, would actually put Shepard at risk because it would start like immunocompromising Shepard <laughs> because it would start destroying Shepard's immune system because the nanobots would, you know, like something like that, some sort of technology beyond the things that we would normally consider. But it obviously think, isn't described in the in the games. I think between Morden and Edie, they would be able to develop something. Maybe, I mean. A self-aware AI and probably the one of the smartest scientists in the entire galaxy. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I'm pretty sure that when you are getting close to Tally throughout Mass Effect Two, and when you talk to Morden, he has some choice words about the way that that romance can can progress and specifically the intimacy of it. Does he do it in? Song? I haven't heard it. I've only played Femshep. So I don't know what the line is. That's what I was about. Uh, to, yeah. Yeah. Morton does bring it up. He, he, uh, so I think he, I, I always wondered how he knew about the relationship, but her, uh, what, what they just brought up, maybe Tally did go to Morton about it. Cause he is a doctor. Yeah. And then on the reverse side, uh, they Morton offers Shepard some ways to on their end they can make it easier on Tally for her system to survive. Mm. But yeah. Mm. Good question, Cloudy. This is a, this is a really interesting one. Um, I'm glad you brought this perspective to it too, because it's, it's really cool. Um, thanks for sharing this one. Well, let's move on to Lena. Lena, I'm sorry. I grossed you out earlier. I apologize. Wait, what did you do? Wait, my, my comments about the ASMR and the weird oh, undulating yeah, okay. dancing. I, I, um, I just don't get it. Like, I don't <laughs> judge, but I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you. Um, so what's what's the plot hole you want to bring up? <laughs> um, yeah, my plot hole has to do with Mass Effect 3, the ending, when you do the final run to the conduit. And it is a scene which came in when the extended cut came out. And, you know, like you're running to the conduit, basically everyone's dying. Harbinger is there, like shooting shuttles out of the sky. And then Shepard decides to do an emergency evac, just like calling Joker, like, yeah, like, let's just please come here, get us out of here. And Joker comes with the Normandy, like this huge starship onto the ground. Harbinger is just sitting there chilling. Like imagine the scene like from the Power Rangers when villains arrive uh -huh. and like Power Rangers just transition into their suits and stuff. Right. And like the villains are just there like, Ooh. <laughs> do you need like and like this whole emergency evac, evac takes place and nobody's doing anything and like harbinger's just sitting there just like oh yeah just like let them say their goodbyes and i'm just here like am i crying yes but do i think it's stupid hell yes like <laughs> right anytime you have a power rangers reference that's great that's awesome yeah they're like hold on a second let us suit up power rangers on go and yeah yeah I'm <laughs> mighty imagining... morphin time 
yeah that's i'm imagining harbinger trying to get a word in edgewise during that that goodbye and and shepherd's like do you mind do you, do you mind listen like, buddy a moment this is my game this is my video game this is my time not your time you just wait you you wait hold on hold on stay there stay stay goes into a christian bail type mm. you know like rage about amateurs and harbinger <laughs> <laughs> just suddenly like develops empathy and just waits there till everybody said their goodbyes okay all right all right all right i'll wait he starts sounding like eeyore okay uh, turbo turbo what's the time it's like in any trench uh like in any cartoon or anime like when they have the magical transformation sequence and the like sailor moon mm-hmm. yeah yeah or all of a sudden like uh somebody goes super saiyan and they're just sitting there like charging up for like half the episode while the enemy's like like staring at them going arr, 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 but nobody's actually doing anything yeah yeah absolutely like where it's like in Voltron where they say, all right, ready to form Voltron. And they spend three minutes forming Voltron while the enemy's just like, all right, I'll wait. So you form your most powerful thing so you can kill me. <laughs> right, right. I'm not going to get in the way of you guys doing the thing that's going to defeat my evil plan. Cool. Cool. Anna. Um, so I think uh, when I, I don't think the Reapers can rapid fire. Uh, which I might, which might be accounting for that time that it gives you, because when you're facing down the Reaper on foot on Rannoch, uh, you have you have all that time. Like it does one shot, and then you have time to line it up, and then you have time to like run around and everything. And I think just for the fact that Harbinger was the very first Reaper, uh, he would have like potentially like an older system, so it might need more time to to fire up because right before a Joker comes down with the Normandy is when uh, that there's like the, the Reaper shot that takes everyone out that Shepard has to call the evac for. Ah. Uh, so I, I'm giving, I'm giving Harbinger a lot of credit here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe that might be the reason. All right. All right. There's a justification there. Uh, Dathan chat says uh, it's like and teacup. You'll like this. It's like an old Assassin's Creed enemy that would wait around while you one V one a guard. And I, I say that because Teacup's starting the Assassin's Creed lore cast. There you go. Yeah, where they just kind of like hang out while you fight somebody else. Yeah. They form a nice little circle around you. It's really nice. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, all right, I'll just wait my turn. Okay, you do your thing. Yeah, that is kind of weird. That is kind of weird. What do you guys, do you think Anna has a good point? You think maybe that's it? Yeah, some nods, maybe, maybe. There definitely is a cooldown period between each of the weapon shots, but technically you can leave that dialogue without being picked for like an hour and then go cook dinner and then come back and then hit the button. <laughs> right, right. Video games. Or if Harbinger really wanted to take out the Normandy, he could be like, okay, I'm in cooldown. Let me just fly straight through it because I'm the biggest thing in the galaxy and it can't stop me. Maybe that's the maybe that's the secret. Harbinger doesn't want to kill Shepard. Harbinger couldn't get rid of Shepard because without Shepard, who's Harbinger? It's like a Batman Joker thing. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly yeah. where I was going with that. Like, yeah. I can't get rid of you. You're just too fun. <laughs> Hate you. I love you. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> um Yeah, that's a good point, Lena. This is a good one. Anyone else want to chime in about this before we move on? All right, I think we I think we wrap that one up. Mike, I know you you hinted at yours a little while ago. Uh, yes. So I my plot hole is not necessarily a plot hole in the game. I think it is a plot hole that the fan community has created. And just like certain people who were mad about the ending or whatever are are so loud about it that we all kind of listen to people complain about something that they don't understand. So I wanted to talk about how everybody says that like the reaper's plan doesn't make sense because like how can you preserve life by destroying it uh because i think we're doing a very bad job of thinking like machines uh because if you remember what are what are the reapers doing exactly they're not coming in and trying to destroy in in their minds uh all civilizations end up destroying themselves so what they're kind of doing is they sweep in at the last second and right before they think that we're about to destroy our own universe, they archive everything. You know, when they when they make a new Reaper, they're melting down uh, civilizations to kind of store all that information. It's like kind of freezing the library of Alexandria in time before it gets destroyed. And so like, you know, even though people aren't going to continue living in, in they think uh, all these species are going to destroy themselves anyway. So it's, it's better to preserve everything that they've accomplished in an archive essentially, and then wait for the next one to start. Uh, and I think people kind of forget that like uh, the Reapers are machines. They have the luxury of time, you know, and so they can, they can let, this thing lasts as long as they want and also uh, they are machines and so they don't want to do anything super risky they would rather something take four thousand years than do it all in one year because to them that time difference doesn't really matter they're they're not going to get bored or something they're just looking for the a way to do it with basically the the least bloodshed possible yeah so you're saying and that they're named reapers for a reason yeah it's almost like they're harvesting huh. something rather than destroying it it's almost like if you are reaping something and harvesting it then that would actually be collecting the thing rather than destroying it yeah and that if you were actually like farming a field then you would want to make sure that you till the field and reap the field and then resupply the field with new seeds to then grow new crop which you would then continue to reap over and over and over again like a farmer yeah but if they're talking if they're talking, if we're talking about thinking in terms of machines, then machines will always base their decisions upon empirical evidence, right? So if something cannot be supported by any data, then they're not going to entertain the idea. Uh, but the where I'm going with this is that the 
the tentative peace that is brokered or can be brokered between the Geth and the Corians would stand to be an anomaly that the Reapers might be interested in, because this is something that is very inherent to their ver- to their own programming. That here we see a peace that has been negotiated between a synthetic race and an organic race, and at, for, at least for the time being, it seems to be holding up. Um, And it's also something that would stand against their logic that peace can never be attained. But maybe their maybe their logic is that peace is always temporary. It may not be that peace is always temporary between organics too. Like right, but that's so I I would say that's a really shitty flawed logic. Okay, so let's let me play let me play devil's advocate here. If their if their logic is that life is temporary, peace is temporary, war is war will always happen that organic life will always in some way destroy itself regardless of organics inorganics organics organics whatever or if or when organic life is in the equation destruction is inevitable eventually i would say that i'd say that they're precluding that <laughs> they are literally preventing other iterations from evolution of happening like because they've constrained evolution to the same patterns every time they are playing god so to speak but they don't they don't have a problem with that but their their solution Clearly not. their solution but their solution is is working because it it actually fulfilled like they but don't need to according to them if there's if they're if they're if if their goal is to simply allow things to get to a certain point and then catalog that development and then just keep on letting that happen if that's simply their goal is to just keep doing that so then why if they're not willing to entertain other ideas because they are a sentient machine race meaning that they have a self-preservation prerogative Mm -hmm. if that's why then why do they all of a sudden do a 180 with the catalyst when Shepard at the very end gets to the gets to the uh the you know the part of the citadel where apparently the decision is going to be made then if they have this self-preservation instinct number one why tell Shepard the truth about how to destroy them (laughs) when they have been fighting this all along why oppose Shepard's solutions about I can negotiate peace while still remaining organic why should we trust why should we trust anything that this catalyst is saying if the catalyst is a sentient b uh has a self-preservation protocol and c believes its own bullshit <laughs> like that's my that's my problems with the catalyst's logic and there's a lot of plot holes i think there sure sure mike what what do you think i was gonna say you know what what you were talking about i don't think the reapers are necessary necessarily playing god i think that over the years they have just kind of refined their process for how this experiment works uh but they maybe don't realize just how much they are influencing the experiment and so i kind of think that they and the catalyst are like a test to see who like what what universe is going to eventually solve this uh conflict and so they're just kind of like every time they're like all right well it's not working in this one so 
like you know, like just wipe it and we'll start a new one like they say <laughs> that they leave somebody like sovereign behind uh to wake up occasionally and just like you know take a look around see how things are going uh in every cycle and so i think that them being being machines they would naturally go towards well what's the most efficient way to do this cycle that happens every time or like what's the how can how can we do this without having to like come in every single time and relearn how everything goes and, and whatever and so it's kind of like they in their by making the citadel and things like that they're just kind of like refining their process they're making it a little more like an assembly line and perhaps not realizing how much they are influencing the outcome by doing something like that and then you know i i personally think that when you get to the catalyst the catalyst is essentially saying we've been waiting for however many years to find a cycle that is different and so like the merely the fact that you have gotten to this point means that there is something different that in basically the entire history of the universe has not been different yeah i was i was kind of leaning in that direction as well uh, teacup I was just going to say the the issue I find with the Reapers and their plan is that they operate on a logical fallacy, which is a in like when we study religious texts, we call it eisegesis, which is when you are implanting implanting something, you are assuming something is already there Mm -hmm. before actually searching to see that it's there rather than exogesis, which is allowing the situation or text or whatever to present what it has to say to, to you. Right. Um, Right. And the eisegesis would be a logical fallacy that the reapers are operating on in based on kind of an empirical evidence. If we believe the catalyst that they've gone through these cycles, but they're assuming that that's always going to be there. Right. They're assuming the answer ahead right. rather than finding the answer within. So if the catalyst controls the reapers, which is what we are told, the catalyst is the intelligence in control of the reapers. If the catalyst is in control of the reapers, then can the catalyst lie? That's one of the biggest questions. Can the catalyst lie? And I contend that the catalyst can and in fact fucking does lie because the catalyst (laughs) through the Reapers tells us that the Reapers have no beginning and no end. Verifiably false. Uh, They do have a beginning. They most certainly do. And we also are told by the catalyst and we're led to believe by the catalyst through the Reapers that the Reapers are omniscient that they know all see all they are infinite they have no end they are beyond our comprehension all of this is almost it falls like a house of cards during the leviathan dlc but the other thing is that by Shep- by the virtue of shepherd getting to the point in the end of mass effect 3 being on that part of the citadel like you mentioned it proves that there are variables beyond the reapers and the intelligence's understanding do you, that there are there are variables even when placed within that cage that they have that they have made through the, the the mass relays and the citadels that they don't know everything. Right. So there's there's two other variables for the catalyst. It's one that the catalyst believes and is misinformed about that, about that information, so isn't actually lying. Or two, that the catalyst itself is supposed to tell false information because that's part of the experiment. Is that the uh, the thing the the things being experimented on need to be given this information so that there's some sort of baseline so that 
all life forms are being told these things, same things about the Reapers so that the, even if the Reapers change in no different amounts of information that all the life forms being experimented on still believe the same things about the Reapers. Right. But that would still mean that the catalyst is capable Can of lying. Lie. Yes. Right. right. And if the cat, but the reasons for that lying, lying are different. It's not, it's not necessarily for, it's not necessarily to be deceitful. It's to create a baseline for experimentation, but also to preserve their own purpose. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like they, they don't so, care about the purpose of the, 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 the creatures. Like uh, as an experimenter, I don't care about the purposes of the mouse running the maze. I only care right. about making sure that my baseline is kept solid for the experiments that I'm running the maze for. So if the mouse gets to a point where it, the mouse is holding a match and could very well burn down your whole maze, mm -hmm. then I'm going to do everything you, I can to keep the mouse from burning down the maze. Right. Yeah. yeah including telling the mouse, congratulations, you have passed the test. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, please drop the match and jump into the meat grinder. Yeah. Two things sure. I'm curious about with this is that, you know, we, we make a lot of assumptions about, about the Reapers, like take out what you were just saying that. I, something I hear a lot is that they they assume that something is going to fail like from the beginning and so they're they're planning for that and so I, I wonder if uh, you know to them the harvest is just kind of like a giant eject button that they just hit every 50,000 years um, but also something to keep in mind is that we are only experience we have only ever seen the weirdest cycle yet we have like something that we the player have have only seen is the one where we got advanced warning about the reapers so like all these conversations about them lying or whatever this could literally be the reapers first time ever having to do that like yeah. think about this the is the anomaly yeah this is the fact this is the first time that they ever have not been able to just come through the, straight through the citadel and cut the head off the snake immediately and then just like do whatever they want. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Also, the, the mouse, the mouse analogy would be, okay, I'm done with the mouse. Let's what, uh, what's the word, but you cut the head off the mouse. So basically you, right. you, you, you kill the mouse and then you move on. You take the next mouse who's ready, put it back in the maze and you and just move on with the cycle. You don't ever have to have a conversation with the mouse. But <laughs> if they, by the, if if the if if they did have to have a conversation with the mouse mouse, which they do at the end of Mass Effect Three, with Shepard being there, mm -hmm. um, and if they don't have an ego typical of an organic being, and if they only operate like a machine, thinking about what is correct and not correct by their protocol, and if and if Shepard is that variable which proves otherwise then why would they not just call off the assault at the very end when Shepard proves that Shepard is right? What if, if there's no ego there? Because maybe, maybe their maybe their reasons for doing things are different than what, what is understood or what say, they're saying or what they're saying. Maybe also, also we like were in a, a weird point where the timing didn't quite line up right. Where like, so th things like peace between the Quarians and the Geth happened basically after the harvest started. Like, you know, e even the Leviathans said like, yeah, we looked and it's a, like, yeah, you were on the right track, but it's a little too late now. Like they, mm -hmm. they kind of said like in, in it's possible that, uh, if uh, we had been allowed it to go 51,000 years that everything would have been fine. And so right. like, 
you know, by that point, we would have had a uh, piece between synthetics and organics. So something I'm curious about is what do you think the Reapers uh, would have done if they came in, uh, w- woke up after 50,000 years, they come in and find a galaxy that had on its own had a uh, total peace between synthetics and organics. What do you think would happen then? I, I have no idea. I want, I want to say that they would implode and, and kill themselves, but th- <laughs> they seem to have a vehement objection to such a thing. Right. Um, well, yeah. Also, let's not forget that the Geth, di- the Geth could have exterminated the Koreans completely before the Reapers start their harvest. This is much before that. They could have ended the Koreans' life, which would have supported the, the Reapers' thesis that synthetics will always exterminate organics, but it didn't happen. And we should also note that the Reapers aren't exactly uh, objective observers in this. They're stoking the flames. The Reapers have taken control of the heretics within the Geth. They've taken control of some of the Rachni and soured their songs. So it's not like there are these, you know, objective scientists. They, their tentacles are very much writhing in in geopolitical, uh, you know, spheres all across uh, the Milky Way galaxy. So uh, I don't think that it's fair to say that the Reapers are of the sit back and watch and then act like like we've said. Um, but also like just once again proving the point that they they want a certain outcome and they're destined to make it happen i also think that there's a there's a logical issue with scale on uh when you when you say synthetics and organics finding peace if you were to say the geth found peace with the Koreans, at what point does that does that actually work one geth makes peace with one Korean. A village of Geth makes peace with a village of Koreans. A planet of Geth makes peace with a planet of Koreans. All existing Geth makes make peace with all existing Koreans. For how much time? How much time does that actually last for? You get what I'm saying? There's a scale here. At what point does that actually like like what's 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 the ratio that that like, are they saying that that will never happen? And and at what point does that does that fit that requirement? If you're justifying an action by saying, yeah, but it didn't happen yet, but it could like that's the worst fucking rationale I've ever heard for like, for example, it's it would be a perfect insurance sales pitch because if you were saying like like an insurance person shows up at my door and says do you have volcano insurance and i'd be like fuck no i don't then they'd be like okay well it could happen right but, but you get, you get yeah, what i'm saying I mean, here it could, you get but, what i'm saying here like if if there's if their justification is if they're if they're trying to say that uh organics help, help me out here organics and synthetics will never f- find peace right that's that's what they believe is that correct? Am I saying that okay. correctly? Yes. Yeah, okay. you are. So in in what measure? I think actually you get what a, I'm saying? An important distinction uh, is I don't think that they ever say that they will not find peace. I think that they they say they will destroy each other or you know that it's it's kind of what uh is it was it the fermi paradox the they said that like any any species that 
advances to the point where they have nuclear weapons is we'll going to destroy we'll themselves. Will eventually before. destroy themselves. It's one of the reasons why we've never found intelligent life in the universe, right? Yeah, right. I think I think the the Reapers think uh, that you know in 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 any case uh, in, in any universe where synthetics and organics have not found peace yet they will destroy themselves or or in in any case uh where they exist and there isn't peace they will destroy each other in a in a way that is kind of like i don't know bigger than both of them right so but that's my question though like like if if you were to say that these two groups currently have found peace but that's still just temporary, right? Or it might still be temporary. Like, at what point can you say that this is a permanent situation and it will it exists for all organics and all synthetics across all of time forever? Like, you can't ever claim that. You can't ever so, you can't ever prove that to be true. Not to cut things short, but I do have an episode very similar to this planned in the creative schedule for the show. <laughs> so I don't I don't yeah, want us to yeah. show too much of our hand right sure, now. Sure. And but, besides, we still have more patrons. To right, talk we about. do. We do. We have one more to go to. But that, that's the that's the big question I have about about that as a statement. And how do you ever conform or deny that as as a thing? I don't know that there's ever a way to justify that as true or false. I don't know that like that's a that's a really tough thing to to put some sort of, you know, closing judgment on but anyway um obviously this is a great topic mike thanks for bringing this one up um and anna i know we've got to get to you i've kept you waiting but we got to keep the best to the end right so absolutely so here we go what do you got so this one uh it, it was a plot hole that was imposed purely monetarily for me for the first like uh I would say probably like five or six years that I played Mass Effect. Um, in between two, or, or at the beginning of three, Shepard is arrested um, and is just like for six months with the Alliance for working with Cerberus. Um, if you don't have the uh, Arrival DLC, this makes no sense because for me, I played full Paragon and made every optimal decision. And so I had the council, I was reinstated as a specter. So when you have your first conversation with the council in Mass Effect 2, they give you explicit permission as a specter, you can go and work with Cerberus and do this. So jumping from that into three and Shepard is arrested for working with Cerberus never once made sense to me. And then there's that conversation you can have with um, the dying Batarian who you have the option of like euthanize or what is it called? Yeah. Euthanizing. That was the word I couldn't come up with. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and and he, call, he calls you out for being terrible to Batarians, which I never was. <laughs> right. Why, uh, why are you mad at me? Yeah. And unless I never, uh, Arrival DLC was the last DLC I ever bought. Um, and that was in 2020, just before they announced the legendary edition. And so when I played that, it finally made sense because, oh, it's not that I was working with Cerberus. It's that I nuked an entire, like civil, I wiped a whole starship or star uh, system off the map. That makes sense. Uh, just jumping in there without that DLC, there's, it's just like the biggest, what the heck happened here? Uh, that I ever found in the games. 
I'd like to believe that it was the writers included it as part of the base story and that it was simply the business guys that decided, well, wait a second, this is pretty compelling. We could make a lot of money off of this if we withheld it. And it's not something that I'd put past EA. Um, yeah. Enormous assholes is what it stands for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If we have this many DLC, then we'll make this much more money. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's also not the last time that Mass Effect imposed a plot hole through through withholding content to DLC. There's three big ones that come to mind. Um, and uh, Anna here just addressed the first of them. The second of which is the day one DLC for Mass Effect 3, Javik. Javik fills in so many holes in the lore for us that it's insane. And when we get to the Javik episode, Javik particularly, um, we'll, we'll go through them. Um, but there's another one, and that is the uh, Leviathan DLC, which I already mentioned. It's a DLC that literally tells us the origins of the Reapers, the origins of the big bad. How the hell is that supposed to be supplementary? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I... I agree with uh, Anna, like it's kind of ridiculous that that they would withhold such critical parts of the lore behind paywalls. Yeah, it's kind of a big thing. Uh, Dathan in chat says uh, also Lear is just magically the shadow broker without the DLC. So surprise. Also, this is a lore cast, so spoilers. If you haven't played the games. Um. Yeah, that's oh man. I can imagine the uh, weird frustration of like, wait a minute, this isn't a thing. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this stuff, guys? No, no other thoughts. Um, well, yes. Yeah, I, I have a oh, turbo. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, like, like he just uh, mentioned, like with Liara, like because during two with the DLC, uh, Luke, uh. I forgot the L word now. Uh, what we were calling this whole podcast. Loophole. No, loopholes. Lo- uh, yeah. The yeah, plot, well, like, hole? plot hole. Plot hole. That's plot hole, not loophole. Plot hole. Like with uh, Liara, she's hunting the shadow broker then and two. And then if you didn't buy the DLC, it's like all of a sudden she is a shadow broker. That was like just a giant, huge plot hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, you can also say Bioware likes to hide good endings behind DLC. Dragon Age Three. Yeah. Oh. Don't yeah. get me started. No, no spoilers. I'm yeah. still playing it. Ugh. Oh no. Okay. No spoilers. Don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Tom, did you have any points of of the lore that just really didn't add up to you? And remember, it doesn't have to be a, an airtight plot hole. I mean, I agree with Anna. Like the when I ended Mass Effect Two, um, originally I didn't I didn't have any of the DLC because I finished it before the DLC. So when I picked up three originally, I hadn't played through the DLC any of that stuff yet. So there was like like none of that stuff. I didn't understand why they were why Shepard was like under arrest and all that stuff. None of that stuff made sense to me at all. So I absolutely had the same, I had the same experience you had, Anna, with all of that stuff the first time. I was like, I don't know, what does any of this stuff have to do with anything? I don't, I don't get any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I had the same issues. What whole, about you? Whole series built on continuity, right? And then the, yeah. the impact and, and consequences of continuity, you can't really hide things behind paywalls that right. way. But because when, when I left the series was after the big ending of the main game of two. 
and we just did awesome stuff. And all of a sudden it was like, all right, Shepard, I guess I'll re- reinstate you. And I was like, what are you <laughs> talking about? What I'm you're out of jail. I was like, what are you ta- We just saved what I just did awesome stuff. I'm supposed to be a worse. hero. It's worse because um, any of the other DLCs that you have, the game is still playable without them. Like w- Javik, he's a huge character, but like it doesn't, I mean, you remove some lore, but like it doesn't change anything about like the, like the state of the world if you have Javik or not. Same yeah. with Leviathan, but right. Arrival is so important that it just changes everything and you just, you know. Right, because I'm, I'm used to so many other games where the DLC wasn't necessary for the main story. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, if you want to do some other stuff off on the side, buy the DLC. And I was like, that's cool. I got the main story. I'll just get three now. And that wasn't the case. Right. And about Arrival, the Arrival DLC, given the already uh, icy, if not uh, hostile relations between the Batarian hegemony and the Alliance, that would serve to galvanize so many extremists in the Batarian hegemony that still existed, pointing literally to a you know star system being wiped off the map by, by the decision of one human being, uh, one Alliance war hero arguably and saying look at this asshole <laughs> that just completely annihilated our our planet over here um so yeah it would have huge ramifications and amaze they put it behind a paywall but for me i was just going to bring up the enormous plot holes that the concept of indoctrination brings um and i don't want to go into the indoctrination theory I don't what? want to. I mean, we could do that's, a whole another episode right here. Oh, that's the, that is the topic of a future episode, one hundred percent. And I think we're we're gonna have to do an episode on what the indoctrination theory is, and then we're probably gonna have to do a patron chat on what how we feel about it. Um, but beyond that, the indoctrination like concept is that the reapers can take control of organic beings and they seemingly inherited this concept or this ability from the 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 leviathans who created the reapers because they can do something similar um and they the longer someone spins around their own technology something about the code with which they create this technology and these artifacts allows the them to be indoctrinated uh over a period of time Given how much time and an intense, frequent contact Commander Shepard is with these pieces of Reaper technology and Reapers themselves, um, it's frankly amazing to me that none of the crew, no one on the crew, not not Shepard either, becomes indoctrinated. So that's kind of a plot hole. I've spoken about it with different you know members of our community before that it would have made a pretty compelling arc if perhaps your love interest or perhaps a different squad mate risks indoctrination if you don't have them loyal or if you choose mm. something against them at some point that would have made an interesting dynamic that that would have been completely in my opinion airtight in the lore but a lot of plot holes that come about because the leviathan and the reapers can indoctrinate but sometimes won't not sure why Sam, I'm just going to say don't put ideas like that into Bioware's head because by the time <laughs> the next game comes out, I I don't think I'm going to be in a place where I could uh, handle that emotionally. Well, you know me. You know I love meaningful tragedy in oh, video dude. games. Can you imagine if... Uh, uh, okay, so, I mean, 
who's played a game where like your love interest dies in one of the playthroughs, right? Like, but what if the, instead they become indoctrinated? Oh, and then I like mean, in a sequel, what, they're like you end up having to like kill them for their own well-being or something. Oh my god! What if the survivor? We talked about this in a private chat off of uh, like like in a different server. Uh, a few of us did. What if the survivor, or I'm sorry, the person who you sacrificed on Vermeer? That squad mate. What if they're brought back by Cerberus instead of Kai Lang? So instead of Kai Lang, you bring back the the Vermeer sac- the who was sacrificed on Vermeer, and it's a giant guilt trip. You know, it's yeah. and, and they use the they they use the um, mental control chip that they spoke about using with Shepard, but didn't. Do we meet anybody in any of the games that's indoctrinated that doesn't have some sort of Reaper tech? in them at all because i feel like everybody we meet has a reaper tech in them at least to a some degree do we meet any anybody that's indoctrinated that's just straight up regular i think uh, actually the hanar in kasumi uh, in kasumi's mission or not kasumi's mission but the jordan bow hunts down uh, indoctrinated hanar that uh, hanar has no reaper tech the asari in Mass Effect One, that's voiced mm-hmm. by Mark Mears' wife, that I can never remember her name. You're not Rana talking about Shiala, are you? Rana Thanoptis. Yes. Rana, thank you. Yeah. Um, who knows if she was lying and blaming it on indoctrination? Um, I don't think she was. I think she was indoctrinated. But there's also uh, the assistant to Dr. Bryson. Although that's arguable that it's indoctrination because it's from the Leviathans. So. Well, like, and like another plot hole is like all the Mass Effect relays are Reaper tech, technically. So, and like the Asari have been exposed to the Prothean beacons, which are also based on Reaper tech for a millennia. Why are the Asari, why aren't there more Asari indoctrinated by the time the Reapers show up? I, I'm curious now that you've brought that up, actually, because I always assumed that it was actual proximity to a Reaper. But in the Arrival DLC, you know, the the indoctrinating uh, element is uh, that artifact that they find. So I wonder if uh, indoctrination is like a, a very planned thing that comes from an actual like device that all reapers have or something like that. Uh, There's also Dr. Manuel, uh, who in Mass Effect 2, I mean, it's very easy to avoid it because it's a side mission in Mass Effect 2. Um, but along those lines, yes, it's, uh, I think it's proven canonically that, it, that the reapers and the leviathans can indoctrinate through artifacts. Well, I, I just mean, I wonder if the artifact that they find is essentially the the Reaper's, like, indoctrination device that they all have inside them, which would ex- which would explain why, like, you know, you don't become indoctrinated just by living on the Citadel. Mm. Like, you're, if, you're, if you're on the Citadel, you're living on Reaper tech for your entire life, yeah. the- theoretically. So maybe, yeah, maybe it is something like a that's the the artifact from the arrival is just the indoctrination gland that got taken out of a reaper it's just the only time we've seen one up close Mm. i I understand object row correctly i thought it was more basically a uh 
it's a, uh, it's a location beacon for their relay to get to because that's the closest relay. Um, and also, I guess you just don't want to sweeten the honeypot, you know, too much. You don't want to sweeten the trap to the point that, well, we're not ready yet, but like the entire population is totally under our control now. <laughs> yeah. That's an, that's another thing against when uh, they we brought up earlier about why did they go to Earth? The, uh, if, they, if they were thinking about logically, because if they were thinking about logically, you just put an indoctrination thing inside the Citadel, wait until you're about to attack like a couple months beforehand, and just turn that thing on. Just indoctrinate everybody, and then you don't have any resistance. The, yeah, yeah, resistance. Go in there and take it over, and then start going. Back to my point we are kind of assuming a pretty radical goal. Like if, if we're assuming that all Reaper tech indoctrinates everybody, that means that in every cycle, you know, in, in theory, like the Reapers would want everybody to be indoctrinated, but which, which isn't the case. Like, like I was saying, they don't, they don't want to control their experiment that much. Like part of, they, they let it play out and then, every 50,000 years when it's not working out, they come in and that's when they get indoctrinating. Get indoctrinating. Mm -mm -mm. That's the new jam. Well, guys, I think we're at the end of the show. This has been awesome. Thank you for being here. Let's go back through everybody and you can share if you've got any cool projects you want to share or ways that people can reach out to you. We're going to start with Genesis you don't happen to have like a podcast or anything you want to shout out. Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I am Genesis. I am one half of the two girls, one ship podcast where we analyze rate and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. Uh, you can find me on the robots radio discord and on all the social medias. Cool. Thanks for being here. And psych. Yes, uh, I'm one fifth of the uh, Mass Effect Blue Shift podcast, uh, live action tabletop RPG. Um, and you can find us uh, on Twitter uh, at Emmy underscore Blue Shift. Um, we also have a Patreon, and we have some exclusive Patreon episodes coming out on that shortly. So sweet. Yeah. Awesome. And Apollo. I'm Apollo on the Discord. Um, not a whole lot to say. I'm very sad because the power supply on my PS5 broke, so I'm without it for like a week until it gets fixed. Oh, no. So I'm sad, but it'll be okay. I can uh, make it. Well, I hope it gets fixed real real quick. That's a bummer. Teacup, what do you got going on? Uh, I do the podcasts, you know, yeah. um, but <laughs> so you can find me uh, with the Dragon Age lore cast and the Assassin's Creed lore cast, which is coming soon. Um, yeah, in the discord, you can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed lore cast and at DA lore cast for the Dragon Age lore cast. Sweet. Yeah, man. New show coming out. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Turbo. I'm not doing anything. I'm just on this and cyberpunk. <laughs> on the Patreons. Yeah, That's man. all I do. You just show up and, and talk on podcasts. That's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. Well, thanks for being here. Cloudy Atlas. Um, I'm not doing, I don't have a podcast. <laughs> I have a Twitter. That's Cloudy Atlas 22. If you want to see Mass Effect art, that's safe for work. Sweet. Awesome. That's a very important thing to note, I have to say. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, you can actually look at it while you're on break at work 
and not get in trouble. Yay. Lena. Yeah, I don't, I, I also don't have a podcast, but um, you can reach me on the Robots Radio Discord if you like. And also maybe quick shout out to the person who made it possible uh, that I can be here today. There was a anonymous benefactor yes. who paid for my patron. Thank you, anonymous, so you know. anonymous benefactor. You. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you can make it again. That's great. And Mike? Uh, I don't have too many projects. Uh, I'll say go listen to the uh, music episode of the Mass Effect Lorecast and then leave reviews talking about how great it was because that's really been helping my ego lately. Uh, the, I guess the only project I can think of that y'all might be interested in is at some point Pipe Man and I are going to uh, record Mass Effect music at some point. We'll probably be over the summer or something, but sorry, Pipe Man, I'm, I'm saying it now so that we have to do it. So, you know, you have to do Sorry. it now, Pipe Man. You just have no, to. We're, co we're committed now. Sorry yeah. you had to find out like this. Yeah. And we're all totally bummed that you're committed to do it. So I guess I, I know. just have to do it. So, oh, well, so, more, more, more to come. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, cool. And Anna. Uh, I am Let's Not with six L's on the Robust Radio Discord. Um, and I recently started streaming uh, like a week or so ago on Twitch. I am sunrise underscore parabellum. I'm in the chat. If you want to come just click on that and find me, that's all I do. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. Go check out her stream. And N7, you got anything cool going on? No. Nope, nothing at all. <laughs> um, I'm streaming, uh, yeah, every Saturday, Monday, like I've said on our other episodes, Sassy Shep Saturdays, Miscellaneous Mondays, and uh, now doing Throwback Thursdays. Some retro games. I'm planning on doing my first ever Dragon Age playthrough on Thursdays. Oh, nice. So. So, yeah, I think uh, there's a good level of crossover for the fandoms between Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Are you I starting see... with Origins? Yes, I am. Wow. Yeah. Um, we have a list, so if you want to make a list, and then we can compare our list. <laughs> I, I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's what I got going on. Uh, Saturdays and Mondays are 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Thursdays, I'm thinking it's going to be more like, uh, it's going to be more like uh, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Cool. And, oh, of course, at N7TheLegend on Twitch, Twitter, everywhere else. Awesome. Well, have fun with that. I like the Dragon Age games. Cool, man. Well, I've got a new show. I started the Lord of the Rings lore cast. This is kind of a big thing for me. Uh, I've been a big fan of Lord of the Rings stuff for a long time. This is probably a long time coming. It's not a video game thing. It's kind of bigger than that. And uh, I launched it on Friday. It is now available on everything. So if you're listening to this on a pod catcher of some sort and you're interested in the Lord of the Rings and you like that world and Tolkien's writings and you want to hear me talk about everything from the creation to all the background for that world and all all the little nitty gritty details, then go check it out. Um, I've, I've taken everything I've learned from things like this show and all the other lore casts that I do in order to create that show. And I think it's going to be the best thing that I've done yet because I'm putting a lot of work into it. So I hope you guys go check it out. It'll come out every Friday. And um, I think I think you're going to like it. So 
go check that out lord of the rings Lorecast, and also of course all the other stuff that's going on with my shows and our shows and all the stuff on the network and the robots radio rocket club shows that some of these guys are on everything's over at robotsradio.net so go check all that stuff out and we will be back next week this this week we're only getting one episode because it's the patron episode but we'll be back next week on monday nights because that's the new time 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific for the next live show and we'll have again two week two shows next week not two weeks next show because that doesn't make any sense sense did i say sex that's weird i'm gonna go now because i've been talking for three hours straight and you guys have a wonderful night see you guys later bye everybody Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.